I want to start by asking you a question this, this morning. Um, what, is, what do you think spiritual maturity is? Have a think. What's spiritual maturity? Or what are the marks of somebody who is spiritually mature? Discernment between good and evil. Stability. Stability. Okay. Rooted and grounded in the faith. Rooted and grounded in the faith. Not easily shaken. Not easily shaken. Okay, thank you. I'm sure there's many more answers we could give. Let, let me read from Philippians 3, verses 4 to 15. I'll touch on, on that just a, a tiny bit more a bit later on. But Philippians chapter 3, and the verses all appear on the screen as well, from uh, verse 4. This is Paul writing, starting halfway through a sentence, so apologies for that. <laughs> though, though I myself have reason, Paul writes, for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who, was, who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. This morning I want to do one thing, really. Just like Paul wanted one thing. I, I want to do one thing. And I want to encourage you to, to know Jesus more. To love him more. To get closer to him. That's it. That's the one thing this morning. Uh, when I started writing this sermon, God reminded me of my early days of being a Christian. And I, I really loved Jesus. I still do, you'll be glad to hear. But, but, good, yep. but in the early days, which is probably 20, 20 years ago now, which is a crazy thought, I, I really loved him. And, and he gave me a, a passion for something. And I remember it so vividly. And my passion was to see and encourage other Christians to love Jesus more. Right from the start, he gave me that passion. 
And, and what Jesus did in my life is he changed it around totally, he changed my life. Before I was saved, my life was going in one direction. And when he saved me, the moment he forgave me of my sin and, for, and gave me eternal life, he also turned my life around, literally 180 degrees. In that moment, my future changed, my passions and desires changed, I changed. Brand new person. And I am naturally... In fleshly speaking, worldly speaking, quite a laid-back person. It takes a fair amount of stuff to stress me out, which is quite a good thing. But actually, before I got saved, I was too laid-back. I wasn't excited about anything, really. And I wasn't passionate about anything. I was fairly apathetic. But when Jesus came into my life, he gave me a new passion. He gave me something to get excited about. And that was him. And it, and it wasn't just for me. I wanted all of the Christians to have the same passion that I had, the same excitement about Jesus, because outside of Jesus, that there's nothing. And, and if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. But if you do have Jesus, you have everything. And, and so I threw myself into all I could get of Jesus and, and church. And I couldn't understand and still really don't understand why people didn't come to church as much as they physically could. I thought, why would you choose to do anything else rather than spend time in God's presence, worshipping him with other Christians, listening to his word preached, experiencing the Holy Spirit move in new ways? Why, I thought, why wouldn't other Christians want as much of that as possible? And an enthusiastic and an exuberant passion for Jesus is not just for new Christians. It should be for all Christians, all the time. And, and how that passion looks will change over time. But on the inside of us who are born again should be that overriding and life-controlling passion and desire to want to know Jesus more and more. A, a passion and desire to pursue Jesus. And, and I read a passage of scripture from Philippians 3 and so I want to talk a bit more about the author of Philippians who is called Paul and Paul had a passion for Jesus. Paul pursued Jesus. He wanted to know him more and more and his whole life was about that. And there was a reason why Paul wanted to know more of Jesus and he tells us it in verse 12 of Philippians 3. And the reason is Christ Jesus, Paul wrote, has made me his own. Christ Jesus has made me his own. Other versions say, has laid hold of me or apprehended me. And again, it's that enthusiastic, purposeful, eager, passionate laying hold of that, that God has laid hold of Paul with, with passion. And so Paul wants to lay hold of Jesus with that same passion. You know, God is passionate for us. He's more passionate and zealous for us than we are for him. And he's so, he loves us so much that John 3.16 says he loved the world so much he gave his only son. And, and this love that God has for you, has for the world, is, is a love characterised by his eagerness, enthusiasm, zeal, passion. That's how he feels about you. He's enthusiastic. He's not laid back about you. God is passionate about you, that you would know him as much as is possible. And he proved this love for you by sending Jesus to the earth. So before Jesus saved Paul, Paul considered himself, well, he was Saul, actually, and Saul considered himself quite good at life. He had qualifications. He had many reasons to put confidence in himself 
as a Jew. He was circumcised on the eighth day in accordance with the Old Testament law. He was an Israelite and knew the tribe he was descended from. He was zealous to the extent of persecuting the Christian church. And he followed the law to a T. He writes of himself, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. That was him before he got saved. Passionate, zealous. But then Jesus got hold of him. Jesus grasped him. Jesus made him his own. And and Jesus first laid hold of him on the Damascus Road, and we read of it in Acts um, chapter 9. And we'll read that in a, in a few moments' time. Um, and then and Paul was, was Saul at that time, as I said. He was a persecutor of the church. He persecuted Christians, but then Jesus made him his own. And then God's purpose in Paul's life became very evident. I wonder when Jesus first laid hold of you. Just have a think. When did that first happen? When was the time that he grasped you for the very first time? And since that moment, how have we responded to that? How have we responded to Jesus laying hold of us and making us his own? Paul writes that because Christ Jesus has eagerly laid hold of him, he now wants to eagerly lay hold of Jesus. He writes, I press on to make it my own because Jesus has made me his own. Paul wanted to make it his own. Well, what what is that it he's talking about? Make what his own? Well, he tells us in the previous verses, verse 7, he says, but whatever whatever gain I had, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And later in that verse, for, I have, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So more of knowing Christ, that he would gain Christ, more of Jesus. And verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And so in other words, Paul wanted to make the knowledge of Christ his own. He wanted to lay hold of Christ in such a way that he knew him more. Paul's desire, his one thing, was that he would be known to know Jesus more. This was his one goal. And whatever else God had Paul doing, whether it was making tents, as he did, or performing miracles, or preaching the gospel to Judaizers, or avoiding being stoned to death, whatever Paul was doing, his main goal in life was always to know Jesus more. Verse 13, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's always more of Jesus to know. And this is what the crux of life is truly about. Jesus more of Jesus. And if we're pressing on in life or pursuing anything else in life, apart from knowing more of Jesus, if we're, if we're pursuing anything that isn't knowing more of Jesus, whether that is better relationships or health or jobs or whatever it is, if that pursuit of Jesus isn't number one, if that desire to know Jesus more isn't number one in our life, then somewhere our life is out of kilter. As humans, we we do press on for or we do pursue a lot of different things 
in life. But there'll always be that dissatisfaction until knowing Jesus becomes our number one goal. So I want to talk more about what it is to, to press on. Paul pressed on, he writes a couple of times in those verses. I press on. He pressed on to know Jesus more, to lay hold of Jesus because Jesus has laid hold of him. You could say that Paul pursued Jesus, chased after him. And in fact, Paul had always pursued Jesus. Even before he was a Christian, Paul pursued Jesus. Let me explain why I'm saying that. So I want to re- um, read from Acts chapter 9. I've got a Bible, you might want to turn there with me as well. Acts 9, 1 to 5 says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And and the word persecute here is the same word in Greek as press on. The word is dioko, and its literal meaning is to persecute or to pursue in a hostile manner, to seek something eagerly. Like if you picture a James Bond film where a villain is chasing down James Bond in a car chase or whatever because he wants to kill him. That, that is dioko. That is to, to, to chase after with, with, with violence in mind. And you, he's going after him. So to use the word persecutes, like in the scripture we've just read, dioko, Paul, or, or Saul as he was then, he, he was pursuing followers of Jesus in a hostile manner, persecuting them, chasing them down, to lock them up in prison, to wanting to murder them. Anyone who chases